Welcome back, dear listeners, to another episode of the Through the Better podcast. My name is Caspar McLeod, and what a first week of the final series we had. We had thrillers, we had upsets, the fairy tale story of the Sydney Swans continue, and finally, we had a drought end in North, beating Melbourne for the first time since 2019. We will get to all my elimination final and qualifying finals review uh, reviews in this episode, as well as dissecting the two semifinal clashes, Adelaide versus Sydney today, and then tomorrow with Melbourne facing off against Geelong, as well as talking about the sudden retirement of the great Bet Goddard, the first AFLW premiership coach at the Adelaide Crows, the one who helped lay the foundation for what has been by far and away the most successful AFLW program so far in the competition's history, and also uh, an integral member in helping set up the Hawks as well. But we'll get to all that this episode, and we'll start off with the review of the first week finals matches, and we'll start off with the games on Saturday, and it started in Adelaide with the hometown Crows losing to Brisbane five goals, seven thirty-seven to six goals, three thirty-nine. An incredible game of football that went down to the wire. I'll discuss for each of these games why each team that won, why they won, and why each team that lost, why they lost. We'll go to the uh, we'll go to the Lions first as the victors. Pure. Pure and simple, Brisbane outhunted the Crows, 89 tackles to 64. Eight Brisbane players had five tackles or more. Courtney Hodder, in particular, had an incredible game high, 10 tackles. When you consider the fact that she's forward, that's an incredible effort. It was higher than her season average. Uh, Kathy Savak had eight, as well as uh, Orla O'Dwyer also had eight as the main leaders. They also had far more accurate goal-kicking. Then the Crows, six goals, three to five goals, seven. They kicked in the second half, three goals straight versus one goal, seven uh, in that same time period. However, I want to mention one player, one moment in particular, because in close finals matches, it's all about moments and it's all about players standing up and, and stepping up and seizing their moments. And it often comes down to experienced players, whether or not they can they can they can stare the moment down. You think of Dugowie five minutes ago in the 2023 AFL men's grand final, kicking that goal from 15 meters out, Dom Sheed from the pocket in 2018. And for me, the moment is in the third quarter where the Lions had struggled to get on the scoreboard throughout most of the day. The Crows lead was out to about two goals one more goal and they probably would have been game over and up popped Dakota Davidson, a classic Dakota Davidson moment, big one-on-one contest deep in the forward line. And she ended up kicking the goal from the resulting 15 meter penalty. And granted any of you listeners who watch that might be thinking to yourselves, well, my dead nan could have kicked that goal. Multiple people, in the AFLW and in the AFL men's have missed from that particular distance and from that angle before. Matthew Stokes has missed a couple, you know, missed a couple of goals at both, you know, Geelong and Essendon um, from that same distance. Travis Cloak 
Greg Collingwood, premiership winning player, and yet he routinely missed goals from that same distance right in front. Tom Lynch at Richmond. Everybody's talking about him basically being a new recruit for the Tigers, considering he was out for most of 2023, and that should help their forward line woes. But he's someone who you can almost never trust from 10 meters out directly in front. So no, it is a lot easier to miss from that distance than to kick the goal sometimes. And yet she took a moment, she pumped her fist in the air and the Crows were rattled from there on. She kicked two goals on the day and she is proving to be the most reliable forward line threat in a forward line that is missing Jess Wardlaw. So uh, for 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 that, I think she had a she had a huge moment and she seized it, ice in her veins. And it was arguably, I think, the moment that the Crows lost because from that point on, they looked absolutely rattled. And we go to the Adelaide Crows and you have a look at the stats alone and it's a little confusing as to how they ended up losing this game. But you consider the fact that they had 64 more disposals nine more inside 50s, led to scoring shots, they had eight more free kicks, three more clearances, 26 more contested possessions, 49 more uncontested possessions, had less turnovers than Brisbane, had 23 more marks, five more marks inside 50, three more tackles inside 50. The top seven disposal winners on the ground were all Adelaide players with the highest ranked Lions player, Ali Anderson, with 17 disposals, recording eight less than the two leading Crows and Hatchard and Ebony Marinoff. Now, compared to round eight, they evened up the stats quite well in round eight. They lost the clearances by seven. They lost the contested possession by 15, had more turnovers, had less marks inside 50, and lost the inside 50 count by three. Now, unfortunately, there is a parallel in one particular key stat in in both games, and that is the disposal efficiency inside 50. Um, And I harp on about this a lot, but it is quite important Around the ground, both uh, games, the Crows had higher disposal efficiency than Brisbane. But inside 50, that disposal efficiency crumbled just 26.5% efficiency inside 50. And then you compare that to around the ground in the qualifying final, 62% uh, around the ground disposal efficiency dropped down to 38.5% once inside 50. Now, um, the stats in general, don't make a lot of sense until you look at a couple of the categories. One of those is disposal efficiency. Uh, another one is the tackle count. Now, the Lions recorded the tackle count, uh, sorry, recorded 33 more tackles in round eight and 25 more tackles on the weekend. Now, in terms of, we, we talked about the top 10 disposal winners on the ground. Seven of them were all Adelaide players. However, if you look at the top 10 tacklers on the ground, in terms of numbers, the Crows recorded just three players inside that top 10. Six Crows had, uh, now granted, some some of these Crows players had higher disposal counts or at least around their season averages, but they barely laid a tackle. And it's some of their leaders and Hatchard, one of their one of their leaders, one of their one of their hearts, one of their engines had 25 disposals, but laid just two tackles. Chelsea Bedell, a premiership winning player. 17 disposals, up from her season average of 15.1, but laid just one tackle. Najwa Allen, 14 disposals and one tackle. There are more names that I could add to this list, but those are just some of the standouts, the young and old leaders at the club who should be showing the way when it comes to tackling. 
Now, I mentioned Courtney Hodder previously in the Brisbane section. I also mentioned in a previous episode that she's having a career best year on the tackling front. She had almost as many tackles as she had disposals, 12 disposals to 10 tackles. Now, of Adelaide's leaders, only Marinoff, Stevie Lee Thompson, and Chelsea Randall can hold their head high on the tackle front with eight, seven, and five, respectively. But I did mention goal kicking accuracy, and I think it's important to mention again, in the second half, Brisbane had three straight goals. Adelaide kicked one goal seven in that time, including their last seven scoring shots all being behind. You have eight scoring shots to three and a half, and you end up losing. Now, this is slightly unfair because when you have inaccurate goal kicking like that, it, it's down to everyone. But this player had multiple behinds. She needs to be better. She is better. She knows how to kick goals, and she is a leader at that club. And in a close finals loss, unfortunately, the performance of leaders gets put under the microscope more than during the home and away season. And I'm putting that microscope on Danielle Ponta, a two-time premiership player in a close game, cannot not kick a goal if she has multiple scoring shots. She had a she had a very good game in general. 17 disposals, four tackles, five clearances, 351 meters gained. But she just couldn't find the middle of the big sticks. And she's having a career best year on the goal kicking front. But as a leader at the Crows, which she now is, she has to perform better on the goal kicking front in a big final, especially when that final ends up being decided by less than a goal, as the entire team needs to do. But we'll go from the first Saturday game to the other Saturday game, and it's Gold Coast, who lost to the Sydney Swans up at Heritage Bank Stadium uh, in the elimination final, 6-5-41 to the Swans, 9-4-58. Now, I mentioned last week in the preview episode that the way to possibly beat the Suns would be to outmark them and outmark them convincingly, considering how strong the Suns are in the air. And the Swans absolutely did that. They doubled the number of marks that the Suns had, 58 to 28. Inside 50, the Swans had three more marks than the Suns. And that was with their most dangerous player, Rebecca Privatelli, suffering a foot injury in the first quarter. Now, just on Privatelli, she was looking like she was in for a big night. She kicked an important goal early on after the Suns had a period of dominance for the first five minutes to get the Swans into the game. And she went up for a contest and she must have landed awkwardly and out for the game. Now she's back against the Crows this week. Um, hopefully she's fully fit and firing for, for her perspective and from the Swans' perspective as well. Chloe Malloy had an incredible game. I mentioned in the preview that potentially it would be a battle between her and Claudia Whitford, who could potentially decide this game. I think Malloy took the chocolates, and Whitford had a good game, 14 disposals, 7 tackles, and 4 clearances. But Malloy had 15 touches, 5 marks, 3 tackles, 1 clearance, and 3 pivotal goals. And if, dear listen, if you haven't, if you haven't seen the goal celebration that she kicked, that, that she had, after somebody in the crowd yelled out two, four, six, eight, Chloe Malloy can't kick straight. Just watch how she responds to that because it's one of the most iconic goal celebrations in the AFLW history. And I love seeing that kind of fan and supporter interaction, especially when it's really positive like that. It's not always super positive, but it's just great and it's great banter. And she um she more than proved the doubters uh wrong on that on that night, kicking three goals one. 
But there is another swan that I want to mention. And I think she is a player who kind of encapsulates the and 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 personifies the bloods culture of anyone can be an integral part of a final successful team if they play their roles really well. And that is first year player Tanya Kennedy, all the way from Donegal in Ireland. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Any Irish listeners, I apologize. She turned 30 years old in July and she just had her career best game against the uh, against the Suns rather. She had 22 disposals, 337 meters gained, 100 fantasy points, all career best numbers. She also had 10 tackles, which is a, an incredible amount and only two below her career best of 12, which she recorded against the Dogs earlier in the year. Other Swans players had great nights too. Montana Ham had 10 tackles, career high. Laura Gardner had 30 disposals, easily the best on ground, although I, sh- I should mention that that is far below her career best of 40 freaking one disposals that she had against Brisbane early in the year. 41 disposals in a game of football, ridiculous. But I do want to mention Kennedy because, again, it's about that blood's culture of everyone playing a role and stepping up. You could be a 30-year-old from Ireland who started playing senior footy this year and who only started playing the sport in any capacity in 2012 when she moved to Australia. And she had her career best performance in a final. And I should also point out the fact that AFL.com.au's Gemma Bessiani points this out. Kennedy had the shutdown roll on Whitford and limited her to her lowest disposal count since round three of season seven. Thank you, Gemma, for uh for 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 those great stats and a great performance from Kennedy and a great performance from the Sydney Swans on a night where their magical season continues on for another week. But for every winner, there is a loser. And the Gold Coast Suns, well, I mean, they dominated for the first five minutes of the game. Watching watching that game for the first five minutes, I kind of thought the Swans were in trouble. They didn't allow Sydney to exit their back half, and they managed to kick the first goal of the game through their captain, uh, Tara Bont uh, Bohanna. She had a great game of football, kicking four goals uh, in general for the night. But, man, the rest of the first quarter was disappointing. To go from six nil up to 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 being four goals two twenty six to one goal straight behind at quarter time is extremely disappointing. Now, granted, against Essendon in round ten, their disposal efficiency wasn't out of this world forty one point nine percent. But you compare that to against the Sydney Swans, and that inside fifty efficiency was down to thirty point six percent. Now, granted, against Essendon, the Bombers had an abysmal, well, I say an abysmal, it wasn't great, disposal efficiency of 37.5%. And the Suns, you know, capitalized on the fact that they were more efficient inside 50 than Essendon in in setting up that win. The Swans, comparatively, were clinical inside 50, sitting at 58.6% disposal efficiency. Now, I mentioned uh, Tara Bohanna as the captain I thought she had a great game, 13 disposals, three marks, four tackles, two clearances, just under 200 metres gain, a game-high four goals compared to a season average of 1.4 goals a game. She stood up in a final, couldn't grab, uh, couldn't, you know, drag her team across the line, but she had a huge captain's game and she should be very, very 
tweets with herself very proud of her effort, as should the rest of the club. Aside from that, no one really took the game by the scruff of the neck for Gold Coast, especially when it was on the line in the first quarter. Game was over by quarter time, let's be completely honest. It was a little, at times, like watching the Demons walk it out of the middle against the Bulldogs in the 2021 Men's Grand Final, how easy the Swans were just walking out of the middle, clearance after clearance after clearance. Indeed, two Sydney players had five or more clearances for the game compared with zero Gold Coast players. The Suns also lost the disposal count by 32 and yet lost the tackle count by even more, by 40. The margin may have been kind of close in the end, but make no mistake, Gold Coast were thoroughly, thoroughly outplayed. Speaking of a lopsided final, we go to Sunday's matches down the highway in Geelong. The Cats defeated the Bombers 7-9-51 to the Bombers 5-3-33. Geelong, the only home team to actually record a win in the first week of the finals, which is kind of interesting. Um, We'll get to the Cats first. Now, while her sister struggled, we'll touch on that later, Georgie Presparkis had a great game. 23 disposals, kicked a goal, took a mark, two tackles, 376 metres game, and a game-high nine clearances. Going into this game, her season average was 6.8 per game. Nine clearances is an incredible effort from her. And it was Geelong leaders in general that had that had great games of football. Rebecca Webster had 23 disposals up from a season average of 18.9 per game. Amy McDonald had a game high 11 tackles, easily the best on the ground. If you combine the top three in the tackle count for Geelong, if you combine the number of the tackles that they had, that each of McDonald, Darcy Malone with eight, and Nina Morrison with seven had, you would get a total that is six more tackles than the top three bomber players combined. That is despite the Cats winning the disposal count by 48 and the uncontested possession count by 40. And let's be real, the game was over at halftime with a scoreline that read seven goals, 7.49 to the Bombers, two goals, 1.13. And because of that dominance in the first half, Cats didn't have to kick a goal in the second half. And they actually ended up being scoreless in the last quarter. Essendon made it a little bit more respectable, but let's be real, game was done at the midway point. Speaking of the Bombers, um, why they lost, it's really plainly obvious when you watch the game and also when you look at the stats. Playing against a team with finals experience, Essendon got found out horribly, losing most key stats quite comfortably. Uh, They lost the disposal count by 48. They lost the inside 50 count by nine. Uh, They had, uh, they, they lost, inside 50 disposal efficiency percentage by 17%. Uh, Geelong won clearances by three, winning the hitouts by 23. The Cats had 13 more marks, including seven more marks inside 50 and three more contested marks. Although Essendon laid more, 13 more tackles, that's also partially because Essendon were always second to the ball throughout the game. The Cats had eight more inside 50s than the Bombers. To put it simply, it was a complete smashing now, I mentioned her sister, Maddie Presparkas, had a much quieter game than her previous two outings against Geelong and then her season average. She recorded 20 disposals on Saturday, still very good for an Essendon player. Her season average is 26.2 per game, and her previous outings against Geelong, she recorded 33 disposals back in round six and a career-high 37 disposals last season. Now, in that round seven game last year against, uh, sorry, in that season seven game against Geelong last year, she recorded 10 clearances, which is an incredible effort in a side that ended up losing. But in a high-pressured finals game where she is one of the few players with finals experiences, 
she recorded zero clearances. In truth, out of all the Essendon experienced players, really only Georgia Nanscorn, she might be the only one who can hold her head high. She had 21 touches up from a season average of 18.7, and she almost single-handedly carried Essendon in the clearance count with eight up from a season average of 5.2 per game. No other Essendon player had more than three clearances. 11 Essendon players had zero clearances. Now, granted, many cats also had zero clearances, but my point is that it's Geelong's leaders that led the way. Essendon's didn't. And I knew that early in the last quarter, when the Bombers had started to make a little bit of a surge, when Bonnie Toogood misses an open sh- an open goal square, dribbles it through far behind because she decided, for whatever reason, to take the shot from 40, 45 out instead of taking a bounce or two and running into 30, 25, 20, 15 metres out and kicking the easy goal. I knew Ethanin were done, and it proved to be that way. Now, we'll go on to Melbourne versus North Melbourne. And uh, out of all the results, this one is probably the one I expected the least. The Kangaroos ended up winning 7-8-50 to one goal, 3-9. Now, I harped on last time about North's awful disposal efficiency going inside 50 and their lack of forward line options when they last played Melbourne the previous two occasions. They more than fixed that this time around. Earlier in the year, North's inside disposal efficiency percentage was 24% when they played against Melbourne. In the prelim final matchup last year, it was even worse at 22.8% or so. This time around, that percentage was up to 54.5%. Earlier in the year, they took just one mark inside 50. They took six this time around, who would have thought that being better by foot inside 50 would create more chances? Their tackling in particular was ferocious. They had five more disposals and 15 more uncontested possessions and six less contested possessions. Although, when you consider the fact that really, when you consider the fact that they had more disposals, more possessions in general, they won the tackle count by 24. They recorded 104 tackles smashing their season average tackle count of 76.2. Now, I mentioned marking inside 50. Well, on Sunday, Emma King, a player I mentioned, needed to stand up, and she did, took four marks and kicked a goal. Alice O'Loughlin took three marks and kicked a goal. Talia Randall kicked three goals from her four, uh, from her four scoring shots, also took two marks. And Bella Eadie kicked two goals and also took two marks. These aren't record-breaking numbers, but the sheer number of forward threats that this team has has finally shown itself against Melbourne because the forward inside 50 efficiency has improved now I want to mention Jasmine Garner again because it's fun to talk about the best player in the league and to highlight their brilliance this time it isn't with disposals although she did record a game high 26 no instead it's the fact that she had a whopping 12 tackles 12 a career high number in that category and she has now recorded the highest tackles per game on average count that she has ever had in a career. North, if you are listening to this as a club, please, please, please win this woman a premiership. She deserves it. And if she retires without a premiership, that would be an absolute travesty. Now, from the most impressive performance of the first week in North Melbourne to Easily the worst and the most puzzling, Melbourne 
Now, since halftime of the game against Brisbane in round 10, Melbourne has kicked one goal, 7-13, against a combined 11 goals, 10-76. 13 points to 76 in that same time frame is ridiculous. Now, to be fair, they did fix a key category that was horribly lopsided in the loss against Brisbane. They got hammered in that game in the inside 50 count. They actually had more inside 50 than North Melbourne this time around, 35 to 33. But my question is, how do you have four scoring shots from 35 inside 50s with just one goal? And that is, to put it quite simply, a stat that I talk about a lot, and that is disposal disposal efficiency inside 50, which was down to 28.6%. I want to ask this question, and I think it's a legitimate question. Did Melbourne players and North Melbourne players swap jumpers before the game because earlier in the year it was the other way around north had abysmal inside 50 disposal efficiency melbourne it wasn't great but it was a lot better than what north's were north was 22 odd percent melbourne was at 38.9 percent maybe that masks some of their problems the fact that north had an abysmal inside 50 percentage and therefore they could you know melbourne could get away with restricting them to just two goals but for me the thing that was most glaring about Melbourne were the turnovers. I've seen Melbourne players attempting kicks. I've never seen them attempt before with dumb, dumb, dumb mistakes, costing them repeated inside 50 opportunities. Against North in round eight, they had five less turnovers. On the weekend, that number was 72 to 60 in favor of Melbourne. Melbourne had 12 more turnovers than North. Despite losing the tackle count and the disposal count somehow, which should be impossible, I do want to mention one player which I thought had a great game, Shelly Heath. She had a career-high 11 tackles. But truthfully, only two Melbourne players recorded more than 20 disposals, Olivia Purcell and Tyler Hanks. Far too much was left to far too few. Um, Now, granted, they do have a chance to turn it around against Geelong, but they have fallen into a hole, and it is a horrible, horrible time for this to happen. Just want to mention something. North Melbourne had 11 players record five tackles or le- uh, less than five tackles throughout the game, which may sound like a lot. Melbourne had 16 players who recorded five tackles or less. If I was the coaching staff at Melbourne, I would be telling the girls, bring your mouth guards to training and prepare to get dirt on your knees because it is going to be brutal. Brutal. It cannot be losing the tackle count and the disposal count in a final especially when you're the favorite going into it. Now, before we get stuck into the semifinal tips, I do want to mention the great Beck Goddard announcing her retirement after coaching the Hawks for two seasons, as well as coaching the Crows to their premiership success back in season one. Now, is she the best AFLW coach in league history? I would still argue that's Craig Stasevich. Because he has, A, he's been around the longest, been around since season one. He's kept Brisbane thereabouts in the finals hunt. You know, they most most years they've been either prelim finalists or they've been uh, grand finalists. I think 2020 was the exception where they, where they, I can't remember if they made finals or not, but they, um, they, they weren't near it that year. But aside from that, they've been thereabouts. But I do think that Beck Goddard, is potentially the most important, and she will go down in history, um, not just the first premiership coach in the league's history, but the first woman 
premiership coach in league history, the one who helped establish the Crows as a dynasty with a lot of their players coming to Adelaide um, that would go on to win three premiership cups, having gone there in her first two seasons and helping to instill that culture of success at the Crows that has become their mainstay. And at Hawthorne, though they had three wins in both their first year and their second year, their percentage improved greatly. So I wouldn't be surprised if in a year or two, the Hawks are having final success or maybe even premiership success. And again, if that happens, they could probably come back to Beth Goddard. Um, I wish her all the best in retirement for whatever she decides to do next. She's been a great AFLW coach. And hopefully, hopefully she decides to come Mm -hmm. out of retirement and help another team uh, in future. But that leaves Hawks as the fourth club looking for a new coach in 2024. The coaching landscape is sometimes a bit of a carousel and a bit of a uh, roller coaster. And that's exactly what it is shaping up to be this offseason. But before all that happens, we have semifinals footy to tip. And it starts off today. This afternoon at Norwood Oval in Adelaide, it's the Crows and the Swans. Now, normally I discuss a previous a previous encounters between two finals teams playing against each other, but this is a little bit weird because they've never played against each other, which means that the first time that they are actually meeting is in a semifinal. This competition and its weird short 10-round seasons, I tell you. Anyways, Adelaide, if you look at the most key cate- category stats, categories, lead the Swans in most of them, but... A couple of them are really, really close when you consider the fact that the Crows finished the season as the best team and the Swans were fighting for a spot in the eight late in the last day of the season. For me, this game is decided up forward. What can Caitlin Gold, who has kicked an average of 1.6 goals per game this year, Daniel Ponto with 1.5 goals per game, and Eloise Jones with 1.5 goals a game, do to counter the dynamic duo of Chloe Malloy, who is fresh off a bag of three, 1.5 goals per game this year. And Rebecca Privatelli, hopefully she's at full strength from the Swans' perspective. Uh, and she, you know, she's good for 1.4 goals per game this year. Now, there are important players in this game, obviously, for both teams. But I do want to mention two in particular, the tackling machines of Ebony Marinoff with 9.9 tackles per game on average and Laura Gardner with 9.1 tackles per game this season, and also happened to double those two players as clearance beats as well, with Gardner averaging 5.9 clearances a game to Marinoff's 5.2 clearances per game. Perhaps the game will come down to which of these two players can have a bigger influence on the game, but for me, it comes down to the battle of the forward line, and as good as the Swans were against the Suns, they did get torn to shreds by Bohanna, uh, who kicked four goals, and she was just one dangerous forward option. The Crows have many, and when they can kick accurately, it is almost impossible to beat the Crows. I do also want to say that the game against Brisbane last weekend was Adelaide's first loss in South Australia for the season, which I don't think will help the Swans all that much, because I can tell you they will be fuming that their first loss at home all year was in a final. A streak has got to end sooner or later, but once it ends, doesn't mean that a new streak can pick off where the old one left off. And I think the Crows will get the win here. Finals experience will prove for plenty. And Adelaide will get the win by 10 points. We'll go to Icon Park on Sunday. And it's Melbourne versus Geelong. Previous meetings earlier this year. 
in round five on a Thursday night at GMHBA Stadium. Melbourne won 11 goals, 874 to Geelong, four goals, one. 25. Now, this was right in the middle of a six-game stretch for Geelong where they only won two games and lost to finals, uh, fellow finalists North by nine points, Essendon by 10 points, and obviously the game against Melbourne, which was by far and away their worst loss of the year in terms of margin. In that game, Nina Morrison and Amy McDonald had 30 and 27 disposals each, as well as eight and seven clearances each. They held their heads high, but overall, Melbourne won the disposal count by 36 the inside 50 count by four, almost had 35% better inside 50 disposal efficiency, had 14 less turnovers, dead the marks inside 50, 10 to 6, and embarrassingly for Geelong, had five more tackles. Melbourne's forward line that night had multiple threats, led by Kate Hoare, who is easily their best player, I think, this year, leading the way with four goals, Eden Zanka though wasn't near her career best of five goals earlier in this year against Adelaide. She kicked two. And Paxman, at forty at, at 34 years old, if you don't mind, kicked two goals compared to average this year of 0.7. They had a night out. And if Melbourne are going to win this game, that forward line is going to have to function like it did back in round five. You cannot go nearly six full quarters of football without kicking a goal, which is what they did when you consider the fact that their only goal of the game against North came very, very late in the last term. Geelong, by contrast, big win against the Hawks in round 10, big win against the Bombers. They seem to be firing when Melbourne seems to be floundering. And everyone always tips the qualifying final loser to bounce back against the elimination final winner, which kind of makes sense because you consider the fact that the um, qualifying final loser obviously has a better home and away season and it's a better team overall than the elimination final loser. But for me, I don't know. I just always think that the elimination final winner is in for a real shot of winning whenever they play the semifinal because they're coming off better momentum. And especially this time around, Geelong, the last two weeks have looked awesome. Melbourne have seen absolutely terrible. And I cannot believe I'm saying this, but for the first time in AFLW history, we'll have a straight sets exit and Melbourne supporters. I'm sorry, it's going to happen in both the men's and the women's this year. I'm pipping the cats by 21 points. Dear listeners, thank you for joining me for this episode of the Through the Banner podcast. My name is Casper McLeod. Join us next week as we take a look at the semifinal actions and preview the two prelim finals. Now, will we see the Kangaroos host the Crows or the Swans? Will we see Brisbane get another shot at Melbourne or can Geelong cause that upset? I don't know why it's an upset when you consider how poorly the Demons have been, but can Geelong cause an upset and set up a battle of the Cats for a spot in the grand final? All that and more to be figured out. Until then, sayonara.